0: Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 84. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com, it's Acting the Fulaman.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: How you doing, Fuleman?
1: Ah, good. I'm told that I'm doing good, because I found out at least one last night. I did not see almost any of the game. It was out. But you did, so you know what's going on, and I don't. Yes.
0: Um, So, the game was was interesting, and actually we're going to switch things up a little bit in terms of uh, our style today. We're going to start with my bad take of the week, uh, and we're going to do that because it relates to yesterday's game, so that'll lead into some talk about uh, the game, or mostly just me explaining the game, um, seeing, seeing as you didn't watch it, and my thoughts on it. And then we're going to go uh, around the division. We're you know 31 games in for the Leafs, which means Tampa Bay has played about five games. Um, but that's enough time for us to judge, you know, the other teams, and we'll, we'll go top to bottom. Uh, Katya had a really good piece earlier this week about kind of the dogfight in the Atlantic. Uh, actually, dogfight is being too kind. It's more like a hamster fight, something sadder than a dog. Well, dogfights are pretty sad. And this analogy is breaking down on me. <laughs> um, anyways, so we're going to talk about the division, and then we'll finish up with uh, with uh bad take. So my bad take uh, is this tweet by um, Justin Bourne of The Athletic. Um, so he tweeted in the first period, or after the first period, after the Leafs were up 4-1 against the Blues, that the Leafs have been searching for that quote-unquote signature game. Something to point to and say, that's what it looks like when we play how we're trying to play. May not last all game and was legit chances against, but that period is what it's supposed to look like when they play their game. And I, so I've, I should preface this by saying I have a ton of respect for Bourne, who knows a lot more about hockey um, than I do. In, in many, many ways. He had a, a very impressive hockey career Anyway way you slice it. But I, I really could not disagree more with this take. And further, I would say that if this is what the Leafs are supposed to look like when they play, quote-unquote, their game, this team is ass. <laughs> and they're they are screwed. They're not going to make the playoffs if this is their game. So one thing to keep in mind, the St. Louis Blues, they won the Stanley Cup last year. They were a great team last year. This year, they have a worse expected goals percentage than the Detroit Red Wings at 5-on-5. They are a bit of a paper tiger. They are getting great goaltending from Jordan Binnington, without which they have kind of struggled. And last night, they decidedly did not get great goaltending from Jordan Binnington. He was awful. The first goal the Leafs scored was a one-timer from the right circle, from the Ovechkin spot, from Zach Hyman, and it went in. And, I mean... Look, we both love Zach Hyman. One-timers from Zach Hyman should not be getting past any goalie.
1: <laughs> they just shouldn't. Oh, you hurt me when you say these things, Aaron. But yeah, you have a
0: point. And then, so the second goal was um, a really nice play by William Nylander in the neutral zone uh, to, to win a puck battle. Gains the zone, gives it to Austin Matthews. Matthews has this kind of uh, cheeky shot that just crawls along the ice and gets through Bennington from the faceoff dot. Again, not a tremendously high-value chance. And... This is kind of a pattern that the Leafs got into in this period. They actually really didn't generate much offensively. They just got a couple okay shots that happened to go in. And that's not how I want the Leafs to play. How I want the Leafs to play is to have the red blob of death in front of the opposing net. I want Tavares to have his ass in the other uh, goalie's face. I want Matthews to take 35 million shots all from the slot. Mm -hmm. That was not happening. And interspersed with this was the Leafs' typical awful defense. Early in the game, Tyson Berry pinches uh, an ill-advised pinch, which happens when you quote-unquote activate the D. It goes the other way, and Freddie Anderson has to make you know, a five-star save in order to keep it 0-0. Uh, and that was, that was a recurring pattern, and as Bourne points out, there were real breakdowns against, and that's, that, that's a big deal, I think, because if the Leafs are having breakdowns against, but they're not generating the elite offense, they're not that good a team. Um, another one of the goals they scored was a 2-on-0 that occurred uh, w- on the penalty kill. And while the penalty kill has drastically been improved under Sheldon Keith, and that's, that's good, um, you know, that's not a sustainable plan for offense. It's not like, oh, yeah, when, we, when the Leafs play their game, they should get a couple 2 on os on the, on the penalty kill. That, that's part of our plan. <laughs> it's like, no, that's ridiculous. That's something that happened because St. Louis lost concentration and the Leafs took advantage. Mm-hmm. So this game was, to me, decidedly not... Something I want the Leafs to emulate going forward. Because against a weak 5-on-5 team, particularly in the first period, they didn't play that well. So, yeah, on the whole, on the whole, the Leafs um, got out uh, XG'd in this game. 1.8 to 1.55 at 5-on-5. A lot of that was an awful second period, which, to be fair to Bourne, he sent this tweet out at the end of the first period. The first period was more even in that respect, both in shots and course or both in Corsi, Fenwick, and um, expected goals. But there were just a ton of silly breakdowns against, and I, I really don't think that period was what we want the Leafs to be. What we want the Leafs to be offensively is the what they were the, fa- the past few years, and this was not that. And more generally, it. it this speaks to something that I really find frustrating about hockey analysis in general, which is that basically all analysis is hindsight bias, almost. And we're guilty of this too. We're, we're not. We're not like you know infallible in this respect. But one thing I think we do try and do a better job of than a lot of people is saying, you know, the this, the results might not have reflected what was most likely to happen, right? And in this particular game, if you replay that first period a hundred times. I don't think there are that many where the Leafs exited with a 4-1 lead. Mm-hmm. Right? It was, frankly, a lot A lot of just good things happened to them, including Bennington having just an absolute trash game. And it, it bothers me when people don't recognize the amount of variance that exists in hockey. It, it's always, when you look at this mainstream analysis, it's if you were scoring, then you were doing well. And if you were not scoring, then you were not doing well. Damn everything else. Right? So that's something that really really bothers me um, and that that's my that's my six minute rant to open off the podcast
1: <laughs> I do want to actually tack on one thing to that and that's something that even in our like little you know random podcast niche we feel a bit of this pressure too I'm sure it's a lot bigger when you have a lot bigger audience but there is that pressure where if you keep saying things that go against what the scores of the games are for an extended period like you keep saying you, you know gee this team you know they may look like they're outscoring their opposition, but they're really not doing that well. Or this team is bound to regress. Things are going to be fine for them. It's going to be okay. After a certain period, people stop taking you seriously. They think, okay, come on. You, you know, sooner or later, this actually has to show up on the scoreboard, and you start doubting yourself. You start thinking, geez, am I off base here? You know, it takes a certain personality. To have that kind of confidence to keep kind of banging the drum and there are a lot of people who are going to give you very good explanations for why the score is correct and the score is often correct and the score has to play a big role in how we evaluate hockey games right like that's the point of would score the opposition but in terms of trying to figure out whether the team is trending well whether they're doing the right things that are going to be leading to wins in the future more often than not it is kind of important to keep an eye there. So I think that's always a struggle if you're ever trying to talk about hockey is to separate had an okay game from a bad game. Actually, I'll tack on one personal anecdote. Uh, I was playing in just like a House League or something and I was young enough that my dad was like still showing up to every game. Um, he was very loyal. He's a great father. Don't get me wrong. It's just like he put in his eight years and by the time I was 16 he was like, that's enough now. I don't need to watch play anymore every single time. But uh, we had one game where we won 4-1 and I scored a beautiful wrister. And I was all proud of myself. And my dad afterwards was just sort of like, you mailed it in for three quarters of that game. And then you had one lucky shot. That doesn't make for a good game. And that stayed with me in terms of like analyzing the Leafs. Because that's how I feel about Austin Matthews games a lot. I'm not sure if this was the case last night. Um, you know, he had two goals, that's great. In the end, he scores so many goals, it's, it's undeniable. But I do find myself wanting more to almost an unfair degree from a lot of his games. And in the recent stretch where he wasn't scoring, I wasn't actually that worried about that. It was like, you know, there are gonna be ebbs and flows. He's too good a goal scorer for that to really ever be an issue. It's the rest of it that bothers me. Now he's had a few good defensive plays lately. I do think that he maybe is trying on certain plays in a way that I haven't seen as much. Uh, So maybe this is the beginning of a good adjustment period. It's just something that I I look at. That was a bit of a discursive rant, but you know. Yeah, no, I think he's
0: improving. It's just, it's not certainly at a very high level yet. He does does puck watch sometimes, and often it shows up um, in the back of the Leafs net, right? And then it's very glaring when that happens. I guess one point I want to make before we, we talk about the rest of the Atlantic division is that the reason we care about things like Corsi and expected goals is because it's a better predictor of how a team will do in the future than past goal differential is, right? It's not just, you know, we want to sound smart or we think it's, um, you know, it's easier to analyze that way. It's because it's more useful. Historically, it's been more useful, right? Mm-hmm. Now, with the caveat that this year seems to be a bit more out of whack Between goals and expected goals than than most years prior. It's it's still valid to me to say, you know, we want to focus on the things that we know historically have led to success in the future. Now, we're with hockey. We're always talking about degrees of likelihood of success. Nothing ever guarantees success because the game itself is so random, right? And you know, you mentioned having um, the analysis kind of needing to match the score at some point. If it doesn't do it for long enough then you start to doubt yourself and you start to lose credibility. And I think long enough is kind of the operative word there because as we've seen in hockey, you can have weird results for longer than a full season, mm-hmm. right? Um, you can have a team that looks like it should be very good and is playing very well. And for four or five seasons, they just, something keeps happening. We we talked about this with Carolina in the past uh, few years, right? So I understand that. Uh, that feeling that, yeah, at some point it has to tie back to the score and it has to tie back to the score within a, a, a season because you don't want to spend an entire season being like, oh, yeah, this should happen, and then nothing ever does.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: I, th- I think recognizing that, hey, that's possible, right? Like, it's possible that for an entire year, hockey is random enough that our best guesses of how a team, quote-unquote, should be doing just won't end up coming true. That's just part of the game, right? And I think... You have to accept that as an, as an analyst if you're being kind of intellectually honest.
1: Yeah, I, I forget who did it. Uh, I, I want to say it was Dom Lachishan, but I could be wrong. But he was just trying to look at how often does the best team in the league win the cup. And the conclusion, which I, I feel like a lot of people just don't straight up accept it, was that most of the time they don't. You know, most of the time it's a team that is not the best team as far as we can tell. But one of the big takeaways that he found was about one time in 50, the best team in the league will miss the playoffs. They'll just get so screwed by luck. And, you know, this isn't even accounting for injuries, which I think make this more possible that they just won't even get to the dance. And that's so hard to accept on an emotional level. Like I've never come close to thinking that any team that missed was the best team in the league. It's just hard for me to do. And yet, you know, when you start looking at it kind of mathematically, you can think, well, it's tight. You know, there's not a lot of gap between top and lower middle in the NHL. And it wouldn't take that many things going wrong for you to get bumped out to tie that back into the Leafs. Um, I was remarking on this on Twitter earlier. Uh, Last year, Garrett Sparks got 17 points and he started 17 games. Uh, This year, the Leafs' backups combined have started seven games and gotten one point. And so as much as we rained on Garrett Sparks, who was not doing a very good job, let's be real. If we just get point a game in all those backup starts, the Leafs are comfortably second in the division. As much as we've complained about them, uh, they're right back in it. Now, I'm not saying that they deserve to be, in some sense, or that those you know, the, the little record they actually have is not real. I'm just observing that that's kind of the margin. Like, it doesn't take that much going long to bump you. And uh, that's sort of what we've been dealing with here. So,
0: yeah. Yep, I I agree with, with all of that. All right, so with that in mind, it might be good to start our uh, talk about the rest, of the rest of the Atlantic. So we're going to go uh, top to bottom, which unfortunately means it'll be a while before we get to the Leafs anyways. Um... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was right there. Um, so we'll start with the Boston Bruins, who are basically just annihilating everyone, um, notwithstanding their first home regulation loss last night against the um, Colorado Avalanche. But their overall record, they're 24-6, 46 points in 30 games. That's nuts, which, uh, with a, a plus-32 goal differential. And this is with them being 0-4 in the shootout. So they've actually kind of left some points on the table. Um, they're running away with the division. Yeah, they're going to make the playoffs. Dumb. Yeah, we're yeah. They're, they're not our fight this year, at least in the regular season. Like We just don't even have to concern
1: ourselves with them. Yeah. All, all you can say is that um, David Pasternak, who is obviously, like, he's insanely hot shooting-wise. But just what a ridiculous player he is what a ridiculous line that is we've remarked on it so many times we've had to face them so many times there's really not much else to say but that's the best line in hockey I just I firmly believe that uh McDavid Dreisidel and Guy is obviously you know also in the running for that title but like they're just unbelievable it's just stupid makes me upset (laughs) yeah
0: no they're they're very very good and and I guess funnily enough um if you look at their shot numbers on the season, they're not that impressive. Um, mm-hmm. Even their expected goals numbers are not that impressive. Uh, I'll, I'll put up the numbers right now, but per natural stat trick, they are 17th in expected goals percentage, 49.72%. So banging league average effectively, right? Uh, in Corsi, they are slightly better, 51%. But even then, that only ranks, you know, in the top 10. It's like it's outside the elite ranges, Um, they're getting really good goaltending from both their goalies uh, and they're getting good shooting part of that Mm -hmm. good shooting is sustainable with that top line part of it is probably not and there should be some regression you would think unless they've figured out kind of something magical which I don't think they have uh, given that the rest of their forward depth is typically considered to be a weakness of theirs but yeah, Mm -hmm. they've done enough that they're running away and hiding with the division at this point
1: yeah, like, even if you think, okay, they're bound to come back to Earth a little bit, when you have a 13-point lead on the next team, you really just have to play reasonably well. Like, that should be a pretty defensible lead, and I have little doubt that Boston is capable of defending it, so... Yep. Yeah. It's almost like we probably don't need to dwell too much on Boston until we inevitably somehow face them in the playoffs again, <laughs> but... uh, Yeah, they're kind of beyond our field of vision at this point
0: yeah more, more or less there, there actually isn't um too much to to discuss with them they're a good team that looks even better than they probably are right now which is um yeah that's that sucks because boston is uh evil and they don't deserve anything good in their lives ever
1: <laughs> morally they don't but that's the world we have to live in so we might as well move down to the first of many teams that are in direct competition with us for spots Uh, The Florida Panthers. Florida Panthers are interesting. They've... You know, they had a big, big ticket off... uh, Wow. They had a big ticket free agent signing this offseason. And Sergei Bobrovsky. And he has been awful. He's been really bad. Only seven more years to go. Woo! And it's good for us that he's been really bad. Because otherwise... They would be a lot farther out of reach for us. Um, I'm kind of impressed that their record is still this okay with a save percentage like he's been putting up. You know, I don't think Florida is even that great a team or anything, but, like, they're really just, you know, plowing right through. Um, they have uh, Joel Quenville, who is, like, an eminently respected coach uh, as the as their bench boss right now for this season, and so I think that that's obviously a good step forward for them, and they have a lot of really good players. Like, for the longest time, I've thought Florida ought to be better than they were, and now I'm still kind of thinking that, because I'm thinking, Sergei Bobrovsky can't be this bad, can he? I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that that's the thing. Like they're, they're getting such bad goaltending, and they're still treading water, and I mean, we'll preface... I guess we can preface this entire section by saying, outside of Boston, the Atlantic is ass. It's really not good, which works in the least favor this year. Um, They're part of that big-ass conglomerate. Um, But yeah, like I mean, Florida's gone unlucky in a sense, uh, and they're still in an all right spot. And you kind of just, from the plexiglass principle, it'll be hard for Bobrovsky to be worse than he already has been. Right? Mm. So... In that sense, they're, they can probably expect some positive regression. They are shooting a bit hot right now. They aren't a particularly... Um, they're not like a, seen as a particularly dangerous offensive team, I don't think. So, no, we'll they're, if,
1: they're, they're like a treadwater team with a couple of you know, good players. You know, Mike Hoffman's a good sniper. Yes. Uh, obviously, you know, they've still got a strong top line.
0: Yeah, um, they, they are top 10 in, um, in league offense. Uh, in, in term at five on five, and mm-hmm. one thing that they do quite well is they they ride their top guys. They they're a very top heavy team, and they they use those top players a lot in every situation, which which is smart mm-hmm. of them because the rest of their team is is not very good at all. Um, so, you know it's it's smart of them to do that. Uh, I I mean I struggle to to really. Have hard takes with, with Florida because frankly I don't watch them that much. They're not that fun to watch in my opinion. Um, mm. But they're 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 playing well. they they have some stuff going for them. It's just really if they, if they can fix that goaltending, they'll they'll be in a better spot. Uh, by shot share and by expected goal share, they're a break even team. So you know we'll yeah. we'll see. That that's been, that basically describes half of the league, right? Like I'm well, it's almost a tautology. But yeah, like a huge part of the league is just in this like mushy middle of 5v5 play. And then everything else is just being governed by their goaltending, shooting and special teams.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, basically the size of it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what I think about Florida. I think that I take them more seriously than most of our direct competition in the division. Like they have talent. They have talent in every position. Uh, I think Aaron Ekblad has kind of rebounded from being seen as kind of, a disappointment in some numbers quarters to being a pretty good defenseman on the whole. Is mm-hmm. sort of yeah, yeah. He, he,
0: he, he's been he's been good for he's had a couple of really good years actually.
1: Hmm. You know, he he seems like I think uh, Ekblad for a while had a bit of guy who looks like an elite defenseman syndrome almost. Like there are certain defensemen who seem to get overrated just because they look like. The sort of guy you want, like Jack Johnson is the quintessential example of that. And Aaron Neckblad is like a big guy, um, is still like a pretty agile skater, especially for his size, you know, like really capable. And so I think a lot of people kind of just thought, oh, yeah, he like he seems like the type and he's actually delivered as far as we can tell. So that's positive. Um, yeah.
0: Florida also has um. they're coming out positive on the special teams battle. Mm -hmm. And I'm just looking at goals here, not not expected goals and how sustainable it is. Expected goals are a bit tough to evaluate power plays in PK because I think teams can more intentionally create pre-shot movement and create, I guess... The classic
1: example is Washington, right? Yes, exactly. uh, To take an example, this year, Washington is 10th in expected goals 4 per 60. But we know when Alex Ovechkin is shooting from the top of the circles off a one-timer, that is almost as good a shot as you're going to get on a power play. So the, you know, the numbers probably don't capture that there. But yeah, but Florida is actually quite unimpressive. I expected goals four per 60. Um, they're 18th in the league. Last year, they also outshot their numbers under our beloved current assistant coach, Paul McFarland, who was apparently running their power play. So they have something that I think seems to be working. But you Yeah, know.
0: and... Um... I mean, I we noted Mike Hoffman as a good shooter before, but yeah, he, he's he's the type of guy who can outshoot um expected goals, especially on the power plane if you can create some side to side movement in the goalie for him. Their, their penalty kill has also been good. Right? So like mm-hmm. when you just look at the difference between the two, they're they're getting a few goals on the margin just from that, which is uh helping them out because their goaltending as as we've covered has not been good at all.
1: Yeah worth noting expected goals also hates their penalty kill so <laughs> i don't know if there's some special teams regression coming along at them in the same time as we're expecting some goaltending regression i would sort of trust that they're more likely to sustain better special teams than it looks like they can because i i do think that there's some some variation there which is something fun we can uh, mention by the way as we just briefly passed by the Leafs on the way down this list yes but yeah, uh, also there's a lot worth, to, of up and down there. Sorry, worth
0: mentioning with the Panthers, they're actually getting outscored pretty badly at even strength. Mm. So, you know, their their success, um, quote-unquote, again, success in, in quotations, because none of these teams are really that good. But their success has mostly been special teams, and then I'd imagine some cluster luck as well, where, you know, they have a plus-two goal differential. Tampa has a plus-15 goal differential. Uh, and... The Panthers are two points ahead with um, the Lightning having a game in hand. So they have a better points percentage. So I'm guessing they're losing big and winning small, the Panthers are to some degree.
1: Yeah, and that has a way of balancing it out. On the other hand, I still keep coming back to how does anyone win when you are starting a goalie still the high majority of your games, and he's putting up 889? Yes. Like, I mean, it's just like that's, that's almost fatal to any mm-hmm. team. And it's worth noting, and this is kind of uh, the depressing and or encouraging thing, if you're a Leafs fan, if the Leafs were in the Metro, this would be over. Yeah. Like, they they would be in a lot more trouble. The fifth best team in the Metro right now is 37 points. So, you know, as it is, the Leafs, you know, now Florida has three games in hand on them. But Toronto's right there. Like, they're one point back of Florida. So, this is kind of wide open. Uh, notwithstanding games in hand, which, you know, like, they do matter, but any of these teams playing quite well in the next stretch can easily jump up and grab a spot. Like, it's not out of reach for anybody because, again, the Atlantic has been Boston and then ass. And so we're working our way through the segment of ass of the Atlantic division.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Florida might... You'll probably expect them to get to do better at five on five, and then mm-hmm. we're not experts on their special teams. So if if they sustain, you know, some improvement in their special team, or if they sustain that special teams kind of advantage, and their five on five creeps up as Bobrovsky, even if he isn't good, and even if we don't like that contract, he's probably not like an eight eighty goaltender.
1: Yeah, like come on. If if he is, by the way, Florida just has the most spectacular albatross I can imagine. Um. <laughs> Put it around their neck, but you know, I don't think that that's likely, at least for the near term. So we'll see. But yeah,
0: yeah, pretty much. Okay, so the Leafs are uh, next. Let me just put up the stand. Oh no, sorry, Buffalo is uh, next on the standings. Um, Buffalo is very forgettable in general. Uh, they are. They have thirty-two points in thirty games. For context, the Leafs have thirty-two and thirty-one. So Buffalo basically just has a game in hand. They have a goal differential of. Zero, which befits an average team. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, you know. So we I saw. Don't take decent... Buffalo seriously. I'm sorry. Well, and I that... should because they outplayed us in two games. Yeah, that's but... that's a depressing thing, isn't it? Um... Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, you know, what Jack Eichel is legit as good as he was expected to be. Yeah. He's a superstar player, and you know that's just a fact. They're not as shallow as they used to be. You know, like they used to be a punchline for being exactly a one-line team and that was it because they burned down in a way that no one else ever has. I know we reference this a lot, but this is an extremely nerdy thing. But if you like looking at stats and just being like, oh, I wonder if a team has ever been however bad at however bad thing, it's always the tank sabers. Always. Like, they, they just did things mathematically that shouldn't be possible. They were so much worse than anyone has ever been in the fancy stat era. Yeah, I, so they, I remember,
0: I, remember yeah. I wrote an article like maybe two years ago just kind of looking at how the distribution of like NHL shot results have changed over time. And basically the biggest change was like the worst teams are no longer as bad. And a lot of that is because uh, of the Sabres. Now this year's actually testing it because the Rangers and the Jets are real, real, real bad at carrying play. Yeah, but
1: they're still better than the tank sabers. Yeah, they're in the forty-five
0: percent, like Corsi range, roughly. For context, that's where like the Randy Carlisle Leafs were. So you know, they were they were very very bad. Um, But Buffalo, they had a year where they were like thirty-nine percent Corsi, which is they had a
1: they had a year where they were, and I remember this thirty-six. Yeah, I have never seen another team under forty for a full year. It's it's super hard to do. (laughs)
0: It's really, really tough to do. Um, oh, but anyways... Okay. Oh, this...
1: sorry, okay, I'm sorry. I'm riffing on stupid Buffalo stats for a second. <laughs> so I Go for before it. Before I forget it. Uh, last week, back before the Leafs beat ba- St. Louis and we were worried they they were bad, uh, Cody Susie had a game where he had an expected goals of under 1%. It's not a typo. That's not a misstatement on my part. He had less than 1% of the expected goals while he was on the ice. And I thought, surely... That can't happen, basically. And so the good people at Evolving Hockey ran it for me. And they found that several players have had an expected goals of zero uh, in their history. But someone pointed out in the comments, there was one uh, game when Zadorov, now with the Colorado Avalanche, was playing for Buffalo with Ristolainen. And while Zadorov was on the ice, Buffalo did not attempt a shot. He played like most like a huge defenseman shift and they were out the shot totals were zero and twenty. Like he just did not do anything. I thought that was very special. I just wanted to share that with the community.
0: Yeah, it's the the tank (laughs) the tank era sabres were were something. This year's sabers one of the things that made me so annoyed that they outplayed the Leafs at five on five over their two games is that the Sabres don't actually do that that often. Their five-on-five five numbers are not that good. In fact, I would go further than saying not that good. They are just not good. When you look at uh, Corsi or expected goals, they are both overshooting expectations for goals for and undershooting expectations against. Um, their goaltending is not... They're not getting absurd goaltending. They're getting like, slightly above-average goaltending, right? Like, And it's, it's not... Mm-hmm. I want to be careful when I, when I talk about a team that's like getting better goaltending than average. That doesn't mean they're bound to regress. Like half the teams are going to get better than average goaltending. Right. And um, certainly the the Sabres are, are, there's nothing that says, Oh, you know, their goaltending is down, bound to collapse soon. Um, The offense Mm -hmm. is a bit more questionable. They are getting a lot of offense out of guys who don't typically produce that much offense. Part of it is, you know, Jack Eichel is going Supernova. He has a, currently a 12-game point streak in which he's been two points per game over that stretch. So he's been bananas, yeah, and he's he's, he's as good an offensive player as you'll find outside of Conor McDavid. He is as good as advertised. It's unbelievable. Um, his line with, with Sam Reinhart is good. Uh, Jeff Skinner, I, is Jeff Skinner playing on that line now? I, I feel like he wasn't when they were playing against the Leafs because um, they had Victor Olofsson on that line. He seems line to instead.
1: bounce up and down. I I was always I'm always curious when Buffalo moves him away, um, because it seems like the most natural fit in the world. Yeah, and For I think they
0: have they have been good together before, like last year certainly.
1: Yeah, um, and, and Jeff Skinner is still scoring, but let me check and see if they still are playing him. They are currently, at last report. Yeah, I'm seeing right now they have him with Johansson and uh, Asplund. Yeah, in and I'm guessing line. I'm guessing that's to, yeah. Some,
0: that's to create some and more Olufsen's offense been away been from Reinhard. Eichel and Reinhardt, who are very good. So like, Eichel and Reinhardt are their Matthews need-ender, effectively, right? And and mm. is there. Um, is there, uh, you know, a Pontus Aberg, I guess.
1: <laughs> Olofsson, yeah, we have to give credit where it's due. Olofsson can shoot. Yeah, like he is. A, he is a sniper. Now he's he's shooting really hot right now, but like, from everything that I've heard about him, he's he's like a legit gunner. Like, they, I've seen a lot of people who think that he could, he'll actually put up goals in this league on a somewhat ongoing basis. So, yeah. something to keep an eye on there. It'll yeah, help and, if he plays with Jack Eichel a lot. And the thing is, like,
0: they are getting hot shooting, but the right people are generally doing the shooting. Like, Jeff Skinner is mm. just sucking up all the attempts when he's on the ice. Like he has 35 of, 35% of his team's shot attempts when he's on the ice. That's who you want shooting, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, Eichel has 25%. You know that's that's a good start. Like that, they're they're not they're not shooting inefficiently, like some other teams that we can mention, perhaps also on the QEW. <laughs>
1: yeah, and so yeah, I mean, a thing that we you know we've remarked on previously with the Leafs is that it seems like the defensemen often end up soaking up a lot of the shots, which is a recipe to not score as much as you'd like. Uh, Buffalo is doing some things well. I think Ralph Kruger. I don't know. I I maybe just find him appealing in terms of he seems like a smart guy. Uh, You know, he's been successful working in another sport, which is a bigger thing, you know, in soccer, uh, which is not too common in hockey. Hockey tends to be very insular. But I think that he's doing some smart things. The interesting thing to me is how he's been using his defense. Because Rasmus Dalin, who is now injured, so he's out of the lineup entirely, but he's not playing him Heavy minutes. He wasn't um, for, like, pretty much the entire year. And I don't know what that's about. I mean, I've heard a lot of people catch his remark before. It's like, he's really not that great defensively. <laughs> and that maybe is to be expected, given how young he is. But I really thought that they were going to lean on Delin pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And they haven't really done so. And that's interesting to me.
0: Yeah, I, I mean... That's also a potential way they can just kind of improve, right? Like if, if Dalin just kind of eventually figures it out, right, and he's so talented and everyone expects that he will, then suddenly they they can get even more, um even more out of that team. But yeah, as of right now, like Dalin's their fourth most played defenseman and has he been injured? Like, he hasn't played the last few games from what I've seen.
1: Yeah, he's injured now. Yeah. He's out now. But uh yeah, it's just something to keep an eye on because you know he's a fr- supposedly a franchise defenseman. Yeah, and he had a, and, a very impressive rookie year, you know.
0: And Ristolainen is still like Ristolainen is like a cockroach. You just can't get rid of him. He's still playing <laughs> big minutes on that team, and that's again if if they if they tone that down and or and if Dahlen's able to step up and take more of those minutes, then they probably come out better for that. I mean, I, I'm sure Dahlen has some issues. We know Ristolainen does. Uh, Colin Miller has also just not gotten the trust of, of Kruger at all. He's been basically third pair.
1: And you know what? That's, I feel like we're officially in Cody Franson territory with Colin Miller, where it's like, okay, one coach doesn't trust you, that's one thing. When you seem to have good fancy stats in a lot of places and still no coach trusts you, I start to wonder what's going on there. I think Colin Miller is there. Yeah, you know, I think we have to question what exactly is happening that he's doing, to make him more or less effective. I don't know. Um, he was someone that we kind of coveted, that we thought might have been a natural yes. fit for us over the summer. Uh, you know, he played in the Sioux. Uh, he was obtained fairly cheaply, but then you know that contract now. If you waive Colin Miller, I'm not. I don't think he gets claimed, which is really fascinating to think about. You know, I mean, I can't say that for sure. That may not be correct. That's uh, a bit of a guess. But what seemed like a good contract before, when the guy is suddenly not playing on a regular basis, except for injuries on the on your defense group, it suddenly looks a lot worse. You know, if he's just like a third pair guy, they're paying him too much money. We were thinking he would be a solid top four guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's. I think that's just something to keep an eye on. I don't know if Kruger is making the right decisions with this defense or, you know, I I tend to give a certain amount of deference to coaches, which has gotten me in trouble before, as you will remember. But um, I I do just find it very interesting the way that they've arranged it, because some of it is not the way that I would expect them to do it. And some of it is not the way that I think anyone would expect them to do it, because I think everyone thought Delian was going to play up.
0: Darling so. got some, like, people were saying, oh, yeah, he might win Norris this year, right? Like, he's expected to be that good. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, and, you know, the talent is there. Mm. Like, he's not like, um, you know, Casey Middling's stats, who was overrated by pretty much everybody, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on to see how that develops. He's got a lot of runway in front of him. The fact that he's not being used in a top pair role right now is, like kind of fine in the macro sense it's just interesting that they didn't think that that was you know like the right play for the team right now because the team wants to win like they're tired of languishing in a billionth place in the atlantic every single year Mm -hmm. yeah last thing actually expected goals wise Mm -hmm. deline and miller's numbers are awful yeah
0: they're really bad aren't they
1: they're really really bad and they're bad by the standard of the sabers yes so they're not saying that extra you know yeah uh Delene's expected goals is forty point six that's, that's actually quite gruesome second worst on the team and Bogosian has only played eight games He's can you local.
0: tell if it's like and, driven y- by y- offense or defense
1: uh i can certainly take a look at that in a moment now i'll vamp on air for a couple of a couple of
0: seconds well while, Wh- try
1: while you look at that I actually want
0: i wanted to make one more mm-hmm. note um the Sabres, uh their special teams have been really bad by both Goals and expected goals. So Mm -hmm. they're kind of the inverse of the Panthers in a lot of ways where like they're perhaps getting a little fortunate at five on five, mostly with the shooting as opposed to the goaltending. And they're losing a lot of ground on special teams. So that's if you so depends on what you think of them. But like if you buy that their special teams, there's no reason to think their special teams should be better than they are when you look at the stats, maybe the talent like they certainly have. I feel like they have the talent to make a good power play, at least. But regardless, it hasn't Mm. really shown up. So if you believe that the shooting is going to come down, or if it's at least somewhat likely to come down, then they are probably, on paper, the weakest of... They have the weakest resume of the teams in the fight for the second-slash-third
1: Atlantic spot. Um, Yeah. They banked... It's worth noting that Dalian is not doing well either offensively or defensively. Okay, yeah. Just throwing that out there. Okay. Which is, wow.
0: Yeah, that's that's, that's something. All right. Um, Should we move on to Montreal?
1: Yeah, isn't Montreal interesting? Um, First of all, Montreal is dominant in Corsi. Yep. So are the Leafs, by the way, for all the good it's doing us. But Montreal is, and this has been true for a while now, it's, you know, Claude Julien, I think, is a good coach. The question is how good and at what cost you know, because he consistently puts together these teams that have really good shot differentials um, that seem like they're often overachieving based on the level of talent. You know, right now, this year, they're second in shots. at least are fourth, by the way. And, you know, at the same time, it's like, can they get over the hump, you know? And Claude Julien has coached winners before, don't get me wrong, but it's just sort of like you wonder if, at what point there's a question as to, you know, like, is he the right coach for that team? I know that uh, when we had Alan on here, he talked about, you know, Claude Julian type of players and how some of those players kind of got run out of town, for lack of a better word. Like, they traded some of those guys away who seemed like they would add the skill component. And so now they've built a team where the best player is Brendan Gallagher. Who's who is great.
0: very good, by the way? Like he's yeah, he's, he's better great. than people even realize. I, I he he's, like, I think he's a top thirty forward in the league.
1: Wow. I, I mean, yeah, I think that's arguable. I I mean, he's one of those guys who kind of gets like that rat designation, which you know, he is. But he's a, you know he's a bit of a provocateur. But like, he also plays like a really. Hard nosed, aggressive game, and he gets goals in bunches. You know, plays very well.
0: Yeah. So that is that is very much true. Um, the thing is, it's. I think people have this idea of Julian teams where they they just take a bunch of shots from the outside, and that's not the case. Because by, by expected goals, um, they're a very strong team as well, and that's showing up. You know, albeit in slightly um, to a slightly lesser degree, in their. Five on five numbers were, they, they, they're outscoring teams at five on five, right? Their 5v5 mm-hmm. goals 4%, and just 52%, and their XG is 53%, so slightly under what you would expect from an average team. Um, they probably don't have elite finishers, and Kerry Price has had a poor year, so that kind of hurts their, um, or at least had a, had a poor segment of the year recently, so that probably hurts them. But five on five, they're, they're a good team, probably the best of the non Boston group, maybe even including Boston.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I tend to just like, I, speaking of just trusting the scoreline, but Boston I just trust more. Yes. You know, like I just that, believe more and, in that
0: group. But. And Boston has, you know, two of the best shooters in the league in Marchand and, and Pasternak, and Montreal just doesn't.
1: Yeah. Uh, and it's worth noting that Montreal's power play is bad, has been bad for a while, and deserves to be bad. Like, I don't think that they're getting unlucky frankly. No. I think and their power play sucks. Their special team, <laughs> their special
0: teams, again, is, is not very good and doesn't have any reason to be good. So, they're, they're suffering on that. They, they don't have a special teams buffer. So, as we saw when, when Carey Price kind of just shit the bed for two weeks, if their goaltending mm-hmm. goes and, you know, n- very few teams can withstand at even strength some goaltending woes, you're, you're not going to outscore teams at even strength. But Florida has been outscoring teams on the power play. And has been able to make up for that to some degree. Montreal does not have that chance. They're not, go- they're yeah. not, special teams battles are not going to lead them to wins for the most part. They need to outplay teams at 5 on 5, which, you know, to their credit, they mostly have done. And they're the team I take most seriously uh, aside from Boston and Tampa Bay. And we'll talk about Tampa in a
1: second. Yeah, Montreal. Mm. Montreal, I do take very seriously. They could easily bump us. And yet, I feel like Montreal is destined to underachieve as long as Carey Price is not Superman, which I don't think he is anymore. He certainly hasn't been this year, but, like, I don't know that, you know, if he ever finds that gear again, they can beat anybody. But well, yeah, I him mean doing that? Yeah, I don't it, know.
0: If he finds that gear, then they're an elite 5-on-5 five five team with elite goaltending. And then that's that's terrifying. It's almost impossible yeah. to beat that sort of team if, if everyone is playing okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Um. But yeah, they've they've struggled, they've they've not gotten that that goaltending really from him, uh, to the degree the, uh, to the degree that they would want.
1: Yeah, and you know that's kind of a milestone. You know, we talked about Bobrovsky, but Carey Price is locked up for a huge amount of money for quite a long time, and so if this is kind of his resting level, uh I don't quite want to say that they're screwed. But they're kind of up against it. Like, that deal is going to go for a long time, and carry Price is 32. We've marked, you
0: know, we, we've remarked on this before, but yeah, they're, they're a team in two windows, right? They have that Weber Price tandem, who are old and good for the most part, but making a lot of money and probably not on a great deal. And then they have the much younger group of like Kanyemi and Paling and Suzuki. And then, uh, how old is Brendan Gallagher? He's like younger than I always expect um he's he's like 20s he's Uh, 27 27. so he'll still be good for a while um Mm -hmm. so yeah they're 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 kind of caught between a couple different windows but yeah they're 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 a good team and i don't know i always i always fear the great five on five teams Mm -hmm. with crappy special teams more than the inverse
1: los angeles won the cup as that team for a, lo- a couple times. Their power play was awful Yeah, um, when they won, and it, it just didn't matter. <laughs> no, I, I mean, granted, you know, they had Jonathan Quick going Supernova one of those years, but could Carey Price do that? Yes, conceivably. I'm hoping that that era of his career is now over. No offense to Carey Price, but, like, I don't think that he's totally incapable of it. So, you know, they, they are a threatening team. You know, even when we were talking about the Atlantic before this year, when we kind of assumed that it was one, two, three, Boston, Tampa Bay, and Toronto in some order, um, Montreal was always kind of nipping at the heels along with Florida. And I did fear them a little bit. I'm hoping that their problems kind of get in their own way. Montreal also, just as an aside, if they want to fire Claude Julien, and I don't know that they do... Um, it, like, it'll take another steep losing streak before that comes into, into view again. Um, they have the sort of larger French component in terms of the coach of the Montreal Canadiens is expected to speak French. And, you know, not commenting on the larger cultural picture there. But I'm just noting that restricts their pool quite a bit. There are a lot of coaches that they just aren't going to hire for that reason. And so the expectation would be that they're going to um, promote their assistant coach, who is Donald his name? Uh, His last name is Ducharme. Dom (laughs) Ducharme. Yeah, that's who it is. Um, But if they don't want to do that, you know, they don't have a ton of options. Like, one of the reasons they went back to Michel Therrien, who was a bad coach um, a couple of times is because they have a limited pool to draw from. And so it's always interesting in the personnel moves that the Canadians make to just sort of keep an eye on that component and how it, it affects them. Alan has joked before about how if they fire Mark Bergevin as their GM, he doesn't want them to come for Julian briesbois who runs the the Lightning, because that would be a natural choice, all things being equal. Yeah, so. yeah. So Montreal's also
0: they're yeah. also one of those teams that shoots a lot from the point, but they also get a lot of shots in front of the net. So it's like, mm-hmm. I guess I'd have to watch them more clearly to to make sure this is true. But my guess is that those point shots are creating a lot of the scrambles, and when you have a guy like Brendan Gallagher, who's just a savant at Getting to the net and getting good position and getting his stick on pucks and just firing at them from all weird angles. Like, like Gallagher is like Super Hyman, essentially. Right? He's just, he's just yeah. a better version of Zach Hyman in every way.
1: Yeah. Except uh, lovability.
0: He's not lovable at all.
1: <laughs> exactly. Never forget that. But and this is just something that I want to think about. With you have a guy like Shea Weber, and Shea Weber, to be clear, has been an outstanding defenseman throughout his career. He's a very, very capable guy. I'm not taking anything away from his overall abilities. But when you have a guy with the big classical booming slap shot, uh, I think there is a tendency to overplay it. The two players who take the most shot attempts on the Montreal power play are Weber and another defenseman, Jeff Petrie. That's not really what I think you should be doing and I don't think it's coincidental that their power play is bad
0: yeah and it's been that way for like years and at some point it's like yeah. wh- why don't we try and change this
1: yeah. especially when you <laughs> when you have we'll keep doing it again
0: when you have Jonathan way. Durant who for all his faults is a wonderful power play player mm-hmm. I feel Very like you know player. running the power play through him Philip Deneau is another good passer and then you have one of the best net front guys in the league I mean maybe that's their idea you know get a Weber shot on net um, and then let Gallagher, you know, muck it up in tight. But it, it's clearly not working. Like, maybe change it up a little bit. Um,
1: yeah, like, that's that's something. And it's worth noting, among players who play any meaningful percentage of power play minutes on the Leafs, and even though the Leafs have had their ordeals, Austin Matthews is taking way, way more shots than anyone else, as it should be. You know, <laughs> like, that's that's the ideal. So, yeah, I, I I have some questions about how they're doing things there. If Montreal... Uh, I hope they d- yeah. If they ever
0: figure out their special teams, like they're they're a very, very good team then.
1: Yeah, I, I mean I this is kind of it goes back to what you're saying about how scary the good five V five teams are. Because it feels like we're asking them to fix less yes. to get good compared to other teams. And it's like it's not that impossible for me to imagine an innovative power play coach and then a bit of a search from Kerry Price, and suddenly Montreal is, like, running away with second in the Atlantic. I'm not saying I expect that to happen. I don't. I hope it doesn't. But it's a lot easier for me to envision than some of these other teams, like, really going on a weller and tear. You know, anyone can go on a PDO bender. But I think Montreal is fewer substantive changes away from being really, really good, and that makes me a little nervous.
0: Yeah, and and honestly, they're, they're even just... They're, they're a positive 5v5 goal differential team, and they're still mm-hmm. undershooting expectations in terms of like, their expected goal differential. Their goal differential at 5 and 5 is worse than their expected goal differential. And that's mostly because of their goaltending, as opposed to their shooting, mm-hmm. which makes me think it's not yeah. really a Julian problem. It, it's just Carey Price, if he's a little bit better. And their backup has also been a total wasteland, by the way, as well, similar to Toronto. If they yeah. just sort either of those out, they're a scary team. So if mm-hmm. I had to bet they're, they're my pick for third, in the division and my pick for second in the division is the team we're going to discuss next which is uh Tampa Bay so Tampa Bay has 31 points in 27 games they've played less games far less games than the Leafs less games than anyone else um only one less game than Florida but you know compared to everyone else there um they're they're in a much prettier position in terms of games played their goal differential is also much better than everyone in the Atlantic except for Boston they're at plus 15 Boston's at plus 32 which is absurd The next highest in the Atlantic is Florida at plus two. Mm -hmm. So Tampa had a slow start, they're figuring it out and it's powered by, as you would expect, their ridiculous five on five offense. Um, They are third in the league in goals for per 60. They're kind of, the Avalanche and Predators are kind of running away with with that title, but the Lightning are right behind them. Uh, They're kind of the best of the mortal teams in terms of, in that respect. Um, When you look at their expected goal rates, it, at least on offense, it's not quite as good. They're above average, but still within, you know, that big clump that you would expect to see that a lot of the league is in. Um, but they also do have, you know, elite shooters. So Tampa can, if any team can sustainably, you know, outshoot their expectations like this, it's it's Tampa. And when you look at who is doing the shooting on their team, you know, the, the right guys are taking a lot of shots. Mm-hmm. Right. So Stamkos is taking a lot of shots. Kucherov taking a lot of shots. Palat and Johnson are taking a lot of shots. Um, that's the, that's the good thing that for, if you're, if you're a Tampa fan, Stamkos actually doesn't have, um, from what I can tell he doesn't have a he's not shooting particularly well at five and five. Like he's always been one of the best shooters in the world. He's not, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm interpreting the hockey graph things, um, or sorry, the hockey viz, um Graphic. I'm looking at correctly. He's not destroying the world in terms of shooting, but you know the team as a whole is doing very, very
1: well in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I've already mentally penciled in Tampa for second in the division. Yep. And until they show otherwise, I don't see a reason to do that. Vasilevsky's underachieved a little bit, but the fact is, this is still the scariest forward group in the NHL. I think top to bottom, just too much talent, too deep to be denied. They're not perfect. I think we're all aware of that. Like they are not superhuman, but they're really, really, really good. And I would not be at all surprised if they go on a tear right here and frankly, just leap to the top of the two the, second, sorry, in the, in the division. Um, like even though we're in that cluster with them, I mean, especially if you ignore that they have four games in hand on us, uh, I just find it really hard to believe that the Leafs are going to outperform Tampa the rest of the way unless they get way better. And so, yeah, I like th- there is only so much I can say there because there was a time where I really thought that we should be in a conversation without performing Tampa or with at least matching them. We haven't earned that conversation. No, and we even a scuffling most Tampa is just no. And so yeah, uh, you know, and, until we show otherwise, you know, we can start talking again about beating the Lightning, but our target has to be exactly the third seed, and that should be attainable because I don't think that we're worse. I, I think we should be better than Florida, Buffalo, and Montreal. Tampa should be better than us, and I think they're going to show it, so. Yeah, I mean,
0: their shooting might come down, right? They're third in the league in on-ice shooting percentage, but as we said, they do have those really, really good shooters, so they and can, s- can get
1: better. Yeah, so.
0: yeah, and their their goaltending, you know, hasn't they're, they're they're conceding more goals than they're expected to. So yeah, their their goaltending could definitely improve. They're a strong five on five team, which has the, um, even you know ignoring the shooting and goaltending, and their shooting and goaltending goaltending talent is good enough to sustain above average, um, or above expectations like PDO or expected PDO. Yeah. So, and then you factor in the special teams, and when you look at um. When you look at their power play, their power play has been really strong in terms of uh, goals for, not quite as strong in terms of expected goals for. Again, that's one thing I I don't trust expected goals for this because they have Stamkos and Kucherov. And, you know, they have Stamkos and Kucherov.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's exactly one player. Well, no, that's not quite true. There are two or three players I can think of who I ever considered. Maybe as being Ovechkin light in terms of like that one timer ability, Stamkos is one. And so, like, he's got that component for them. You know, like, there's just so much talent there that I'm going to assume that Tampa will have a very good power play until probably they've sucked at it for two years. Like, I just will keep believing in that, that forward group. I, I am a little, you know, overawed by them, probably because even at our best, they were the only forward group that I thought was offensively better than us. You know, like at at our best, I thought Toronto had probably the second best forward group in the NHL in terms of offense, and then there was always Tampa, and so I, I'm still betting on on Tampa to figure that out. So
0: yeah, yeah, they're they're a very very good team, and that slow start means they probably won't get first in the division, but yeah, I think I think realistically, a lot of teams are fighting for third. I I expect Tampa. Tampa has the inside track on second, for sure. And mm-hmm. there's no reason to think they, they won't have it. They're a strong five-on-five team with great shooting and a, no reason to think that their power play is fool's gold, considering how good it's been consistently.
1: Yes. Um, actually, you know what? We are just passing the Leafs here. Do you want to briefly talk about a couple of key f- facts? Just because... Go for it. We looked them up. Okay, so just briefly. Um, you can sort of be encouraged by certain things about the Leafs. Like, since Keefe came on, which is only eight games, pause, that's going to be important, Uh, the Leafs are second in Corsi, third in expected goals. You think, oh, that's really good for the whole league. Here's the thing. In the Red Wings game, they pummeled Detroit so badly that it really skewed their numbers. And, you know, Detroit was, you know, one, Detroit sucks. Two, Detroit was really mailing it in. You know, they were struggling goaltending-wise, and I think that seeped into the forwards and the defense because they gave up. And so the Leafs have actually been out-expected gold in five straight now, as you remarked to me beforehand. And their numbers still look as good as they are because in an eight-game sample, absolutely annihilating a really bad team can do that. What I do think is encouraging, and again, this is tiny sample territory, is the Leafs... Special team numbers look a lot better. I want to be really careful putting stock into this, though, because it's like 30 minutes, you know, on off on the power play and on the penalty kill. But the Leafs are a top three team in both power play and penalty kill, pretty much any way you slice it with, the, you know, with these sort of numbers. So that's been encouraging under Keefe. I hope that that is the beginning of something sustainable. Our power play should never have been bad with this personnel, and that was very frustrating when it happened. Uh, The penalty kill being good would go a long way. Uh, So that's just something to keep an eye on. I wanted to mention this because we've talked a lot about special teams with some of these groups and how that can help you if you're maybe not getting everything that you need out of the 5v5 angle. The Leafs are starting to show some signs that they could be uh, a good special teams group again, and they should be. Uh, they're also still dominating coursey wise um, which they were doing before Babcock was fired. So just some stuff to kind of keep in mind in terms of projecting going forward and putting us in context of that group with Florida, uh, Buffalo, and Montreal. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, just yeah. to put a bow on that group, because now we're getting into the two teams that basically have no playoff hopes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't have to spend that much time on them because uh, it's not that relevant for for the Leafs. But I, I think Boston and Tampa are going to be the top two. Tampa, they've given themselves maybe less margin for error than they wanted, but they they have, I think this the third best points percentage, or sorry fourth or no, yeah, third best points percentage in the Atlantic, and they're a better team than Florida in my opinion. so I expect them to eventually get second. Mm-hmm. Between us, Florida, Buffalo, and Montreal. I'm most worried about Montreal, then Florida, then Buffalo. And I tend to think that we're around the level of Montreal.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, <laughs> if you really want to build up the drama, look who our last opponent in Game 82 is. Mm-hmm. So there's some potential for that to get really tight between Toronto and Montreal. Anything could happen. You know, there are still 50, uh, well 51 now for us, games left in the season. Somebody in this group could sewer really quick and take themselves right out of the running, or go on a PDO bender and kind of wrap up a spot. You know, this is the, the danger when you're in the mushy middle is that uh, it's kind of wide open. It's, the margins are relief, very small. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't take much, and you know we haven't talked a lot about the wild card positioning because again, the Leafs have to get really hot to make up a, some space and catch the wild card. By no means is it impossible that they do so, but if they do, they're probably getting a divisional seed anyway. Is the way I would put it. Like I would expect if the Leafs are playing well enough to make the wild card, they're also playing well enough to make third in the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Um Ottawa, you know what? Credit where it's due. Ottawa is overachieving what I thought they would. They're still bad. Um they're still probably out of the running for a playoff spot. I mean, we have seven points up on them and they have one game in hand on us and we're kind of the low end of the mushy middle <laughs> in the Atlantic. But, you know, for a team as thin as they are and, you know, I called them the worst roster in the NHL uh, coming into this year, I'm still having some trouble discarding that notion, but they're all playing really hard. I think DJ Smith is actually getting quite a bit out of them. And, you know, they're really giving it their damnedest. If, if Ottawa had a different owner, man, I, I think they would be have a lot to be excited about. This could be the start of a really interesting rebuild for them. Because, you know, Brady Kachuk is good. Tom Shabbat is good. There's a lot to like there. And, you know, they'll get a high pick. Uh, Detroit is going to zoom right under them, it looks like. But they should still pick in the top five. And they'll have a decent core there. And they might even get a bit of what the Leafs had, which is like a very low finishing season, but where you have some pretty encouraging signs. So that was a, probably the most consecutive positive sentences I've ever said about the Ottawa Senators. Yeah. But, um, you know, credit where it's due.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. They've they've been, I think, better than, than people expected. And really, the it would be an optimistic and fun time to be a sense fan if you weren't owned by eugene monik and that's kind of the specter that hangs over everything right because mm-hmm. a good team or sorry, a good owner who is like committed to the team if there's a, a better own a better arena situation better attendance and stuff it would be much easier to be positive about the long-term future of this group because they legitimately do have talent and They've always been a good drafting team, which is shocking given how small their budget is. Like, the, And I think they barely scout Europe. They pretty much always scout just the CHL and and college, college hockey in the U.S. Um, so you'd think there's they'd leave some stuff on the table, but their scouting's always been quite strong. Um, they've consistently kind of unearthed really good players. And Brady Kachok was a guy who I was not, not that I'm a draft expert or anything, nor do I claim mm-hmm. to be, but I was not that impressed by his numbers in... Uh, in college, and I thought they should have actually given up the pick that that he became and uh, tanked to try and get Hughes or Kako. But right now, like, Kachuk, he looks like he's going to be a star player. He looks like he does everything well. Um, So they they definitely, as it's turned out, they made the right call on that. Uh, Even if they got Hughes or Kako, maybe this is a hot take, but I think it's an open question whether you would take Kachuk over them anyways. He's really good
1: yeah I, I mean it, it's a question of how strong your priors were on that one and you know Hughes is having an up-and-down starting season for the Devils who are really really struggling and so it, it's hard to compare that out on the other hand Kachuk's playing for a crappy team too so. yeah yeah uh, I I don't know that'll be interesting to keep an eye on I would still expect Hughes to kind of show his true colors in, in the longer run and then Kako I don't know as much what to make up to be honest but Kachuk has really shown something, and he's going to be the kind of guy that a lot of GMs and hockey people love um, and that opposing fans will detest. I mean, I, I'm going to hate him. I do mm-hmm. hate him. He's annoying, but he's very good. And so, yeah, I, I think you have to give him some credit there. It's something to note about uh, the Ottawa Senators. Just We talked about their drafting there. Um, it's always North America or Sweden pretty well recently. I find it really interesting. They basically don't seem to scout or draft Russia at all. Like, now granted, this, like as far as I can tell at a quick look, the last time they drafted someone from Russia was 2005. Um, I can't verify every name at short notice to absolutely confirm that, but in terms of their listed origin, it's North America or Sweden every time. So... Yeah, it's interesting. I guess they've decided, okay, we're going to try to be just really, really good at the places we are scouting. And, you know, if we have really good people, that'll be something. And I do one other thing. I noticed that they gave long-term deals to White and Shabbat to kind of lock them in. The Shabbat deal, as we said at the time, I think is going to turn out to be really good. Uh, The Colin White deal, I don't know (laughs) how that'll turn out. If he delivers on his potential, it'll be great. Uh, if he doesn't, then it's going to be a bit more of a problem. So that's something to keep an eye on. But yeah, overall, I think the, the non-owner parts of the picture for Ottawa are good. And, you know, power to them for that. Yeah.
0: Um, so we we're also going to discuss Detroit, but I think it would be most fitting if we put the same amount of effort talking about Detroit as they did in the game against the Leafs.
1: <laughs> Detroit is awful. They are the worst team in the NHL. They are worse than I even expected them to be. Good job. You will get a high draft pick. Everything is according to plan, but the road back out of hell might be a little steep.
0: Yeah, I mean, we were talking earlier about, you know, how crazy those Buffalo tank teams were and how bad they were. Mm-hmm. The Red Wings are on a goal differential pace to match those teams. Yeah. So they're, they're... they're in that caliber of teams when you look at goal differential. Now, the shot numbers are better than you know, 30-something percent, which is good. It'd be hard to be worse. And I, I do think that part of the reason the Sabres had such a hard time coming out of that period is because they had just no functional NHL players in their bottom six or, or, or in their in their defense. They were just playing a- each there. And they had to just completely rebuild their entire roster once they got Hughes, or once they got, sorry, Eichel, mm. and were trying to win.
1: Yeah. And, and Detroit, you know, Detroit still has some basic good players. Yeah, but, Mantha's good. Narkin's uh,
0: very good. Um, I mean, it's actually just those two.
1: Yeah, they have exactly one good line. And basically no current defensemen that I think are good. They have some prospects. And then Zadina will be interesting to keep an eye on down the road. Speaking of, he was the guy I think a lot of us expected to take over Brady Kachak. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of what the Senators did. Um, I st- I still, you know, his his potential seems to be there. Kachak looks like a clearly better pick. But... Yeah, anyway, Detroit, like, this is on purpose, is the best thing you can say about Detroit, for the most part. They are aware that they are bad. They are not going to take measures to rectify it. I will be interested to see if they succeed in making a lot of deadline sales, because, like, anyone associated with is, this is going to look like complete ass. But, you know, I don't know, maybe someone will take, Christ, Mike Green, <laughs> who is, like, still alive, and that's about it anyway they're a bad team
0: yes all right uh, so i think yeah that pretty much covers it now you had a you want to discuss your bad take of the week
1: yeah this is less a specialized bad take than more a general feeling that i've encountered the vancouver canucks honored alexander Burroughs or alexandra Burroughs uh this week in their sort of team ring of honor thing and that's fine that's their prerogative he was effective for them in his day he was very well liked in the fan base you don't have to answer to anyone for liking players that play for your team for the most part I don't think but the thing about Burroughs is that he was an enormous prick on the ice he was a bad guy and I don't even just mean that he was like Unpleasant. Like, there are a lot of players who I don't like to play against. Burroughs threw really dirty hits. Like, I remember him kneeing Taylor Hall on the head long after Burroughs had stopped contributing anything else to a hockey team. But also, if you have any boundaries for what counts as okay and off-limits in trash talk, Burroughs crossed them. Like, he went after Patrick O'Sullivan, who was abused by his father, about that on the ice. That's low. That's really shitty. And so while you can honor Burroughs and say, okay, you know, he said some things that were over the line. That's unfortunate, but big picture, we really like him. He was nice in the community, all that shit. Okay. You know, you've made your choice. Every team to some extent has some players who have done some things that they would not like if any other player did them, but it's not like some weird bias against Vancouver that people just don't like and respect Alex Burroughs. He doesn't deserve respect. He was a real asshole. And frankly, I kind of resent the idea that we should be giving him any credit. If he didn't play for Vancouver, everyone in that city who had had occasion to think about him would hate his guts. And that's how we feel about him. So no, it's not some sort of East Coast media bias to say that Alexander Burroughs played like a piece of shit. He did. Thank you.
0: All right. Yeah. I mean, I I kind <laughs> I agree with everything there. He he was an asshole on the ice. Um. And I mean, one of the things is like, I'm sure he did a lot of good in his community. I'm sure the people who met him in his off ice activities enjoyed him, and he did a lot for for the Vancouver area and all that sort of thing. But. That doesn't absolve you of things you do on the ice. There's still a kind of a code of conduct, and it's fair to dislike someone for what they've done in that kind of venue of competition.
1: Yeah, I, this has come up. Uh, Friedman's talked about this with Mike Babcock and the contrast between his ideals of mental health and stuff and some of the ways it turns out that he ran his teams. Uh, he, he said, you know, a lot of guys are just two people. There are a certain person at the rank and there are a certain person away from the rank. You know, Alex Burrows was probably a nice guy away from the rink, to the best of my knowledge. You know, But on the rink is kind of what we're concerned about as hockey fans. And on the rink, I think that he was a genuinely toxic presence. And it, he did a lot of things that I think genuinely ought to be entirely eliminated from the game. I think that his impact and his legacy were really bad and i don't really care how hard he worked to get the opportunity to be a jackass so that's my thoughts on alex Burroughs. i have a lot of built-up resentment on that topic i really did not like that guy
0: mm-hmm. yeah no i think that's that's all pretty valid okay um so i think that pretty much wraps it up here for us uh thank you all for listening you can catch all of mine and Fuliman's stuff at com. you can also follow us on twitter at rv and